nobody wants to go now. Why is that? I think it's because we're afraid that heaven might be just barely better than what's here on earth. And it seems so far away. On the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, he spoke to them on the topic of heaven. I want to read the passage again. John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, Jesus says, I wouldn't have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. The second point I want to make is that heaven helps us live by faith in this life. We need to know about heaven first because everybody wants heaven. Everybody needs heaven. Everybody's seeking heaven whether they know it or not. But secondly, heaven helps us live by faith in this life. That's why Jesus gave us this passage. Jesus was just about to be betrayed, handed over, crucified, to die and then to be buried then ultimately be raised again. He knew his time with his disciples were short. He knew they were going to be worried. He knew that they needed leadership, that they needed teaching and direction and instruction for when he was gone. And what did he talk to them about? He starts his whole discourse that night with the topic of heaven. He says, look, don't be troubled. Believe in God. I'm going to prepare a place for you that you might be with me and I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me. In other words, he said, I'm going to heaven to get it ready for you. Then I'm going to come back and get you. And that is somehow supposed to put your heart at ease and to help you in this interim period while I'm gone from you. He gives us a compelling picture of heaven that shows us how to live in this life first it shows us what this life really is to see life for what it is and the first thing it shows us is that life is short the mortality rate for human beings folks is 100 percent my first funeral that i did as a young pastor was an 18 year old boy young man there's nothing to prepare you for the urgency of gospel ministry like being in the room of a funeral parlor with a mother as they close the casket on her son. And she looks at you like, what do you have to help me? Is this just a religious club? Is this just a game? Is this some moral thing that makes you feel good about yourself? What is this stuff about Christ? Is it real? Does it make a difference? And what does it mean for me and my son? Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, commissioned a servant whose only job was every day to come into the throne room of Philip of Macedon and to stand in front of him. How'd you like to have this job? And say, Philip, you will die. Now, why did he do that? Was Philip just some morbid, depressed guy that was always focusing on death? No, he wanted to be always reminded that life is fast and fleeting and short and fragile and to make the best of it. David said, O oh Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. 
Behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetimes is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. We're just a blip. Your life of 70, 80, 90, maybe even 100 years, blip on the screen. David says it's a handbreadth. It's just the width of your hand on a timeline. It's just a breath, just a and it's over. Like on a cold winter day when you on the window like we did when we were little, the fog hits it and then it just dissipates. That's David, the man of faith. He's saying, Lord, my life is so brief. That gives us perspective. It also shows us that life is not all there is. We have been raised in a materialistic world. I don't mean materialistic in the sense of buying lots of things. I'm talking about materialism in the sense of like Carl Sagan. You remember the cosmos, that, that series he did? It starts, you know, with the oceans and, and the sunset and showing planets whirling. And the, the narrator says the universe is all there was and all there is and all there ever will be. We're told that we evolved accidentally from slime you are nothing but flesh and blood and tissue you're born you live you eat you work you die and hopefully you have a lot of fun along the way jesus says no i have come from heaven with my father to tell you this life is not all there is there is more to life it also tells us that life is full of trouble. Jesus says at the beginning to him, now you know when someone starts a conversation with you by saying, don't get upset, but. You know, dads, when you come in from work and your wife talks, she says, don't, don't get upset, but. Jesus says, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why would he say that to them? Because he knows they are about to go through something that is not humanly possible to endure. But he gave, he gave them peace, he gave them hope, and he's, he gave them the hope of heaven. He said, no matter hard, how hard it gets down here, I'm up there working on it. And I'm coming back. And nothing can stop that. So keep living for me. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This life without heaven can leave you feeling like Inman, the main character in the novel Cold Mountain, where he says that he felt like the invisible world had abandoned him as a gypsy soul to wander singular without guide or chart through a broken world composed of little but impediment. You ever felt that way? Pretty bleak. But without heaven... If this is all there is, that's all there is. We've been left as gypsy souls to wander alone with no guide or chart and nothing in our path but obstacles. That's true if there is no God. That's true if there is no heaven. Some of you are going, man, don't invite him back. He's depressing. Just hang with me, please. Jesus said to his disciples, which is so refreshing to me, He said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. When I hear those words, I go, finally, thank you. Somebody that's not this pie-in-the-sky Christian who says, if you'll just trust Jesus and love Jesus, your life is just going to be hunky-dory. Because it's not. 
And if someone sold you that bill of goods, I want to apologize. Just following Christ is not going to take all the problems out of your life. What it's going to do is bring all of Christ into your life. And that will make an eternal difference. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The second way that heaven helps us live by faith is we see human beings for who they are. From an eternal perspective, people, there are no ordinary people. We are all immortal because God has made us that way. Every person you encounter on a daily basis is going to spend their eternity either inside the Father's house or outside the Father's house. C.S. Lewis has said, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Now, that, by that he means people that are going to be glorified into God's presence. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw him now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these eternal destinations. There are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mortal. So why do we treat people on a daily basis the way that we do? Every person we come in contact is worthy of our love, dignity, respect, service, kindness. And finally, heaven helps us live by faith because it shows us the eternal weight of glory, Paul calls it. That far outweighs anything in this life. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says that this slight and momentary affliction, he's talking about what we experience in this life, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So the picture is of a scale, and he says, take the things of this life, all the hard things you can think of in this life, put it on one side of the scale, and then put all of the eternal glories and blessings of heaven on the other side, and it just goes like this. Not even worth comparing. Heaven will so far outweigh anything we experience in this life that it will bury it all. Romans 8.18, Paul says again, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glories of heaven will be so great that anything we experience in this life will be a distant memory, Jesus tells us. Be encouraged by that. There's something greater coming. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of heaven to show us how great it is. He speaks about it as you and I would speak about our childhood home. I could tell you about my childhood home in Aiken. I could tell you the friends I had, what it was like to play in the front yard, what the house was like, what it smelled like, what it was like on a, on a holiday or in the evenings or in the mornings and what it was like when the family gathered. Jesus speaks about heaven like that. He says, it's, it's my father's home. It's got many mansions. And there's a place there for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He tells us it's a large palatial home. In the ancient world, all business is centered in a home. Almost like a plantation. Everybody lived there under the, the, the father who was the head of the home. And you were provided for out of the wealth of that father. Jesus is saying heaven is a home where, where you live under the father's love. Where everything is provided for you. Then he says that there's a place there for you. That's what we're all looking for, right? A place. A place where we belong. A place where 
we can be known, like the Cheers song says. Those of you, I'm dating myself a little bit, but you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? That's why Facebook is so popular. Like, I've got more friends than you do on Facebook. But we want to be connected in all seriousness. Facebook is popular because people are longing for community. They're lonely. They feel detached. They feel alienated. They feel separated from people that they once knew and loved. Jesus says there's going to be a place for you. Imagine showing up to a great banquet where everybody has a seat at the table except you. Jesus says that will never happen for God's children. There will always be a reserved place at my father's table for you with your little name card on it. It's a place where you can belong. You can be known. But most importantly, he says that you might be where I am. You see, what's so great about heaven is not where you're going to be, which is going to be great. That's a whole nother sermon. It's who you're going to be with. Jesus told the thief on the cross as they were dying. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Wherever Christ is, is paradise. And until we get there with him, he's promised to be with us. And when he comes into our homes, when he comes into our hearts, when he comes into our churches and our workplaces, to our families, he brings the taste of paradise with him. It's been said that one, the person who has everything and has God has no more than the person who has nothing but God. That'll put everything in perspective. I've talked to people Hours before they died. I've never heard one of them say, I wish I would have worked more hours. I wish I would have had a better car. I wish I would have been better looking. I wish I would have done this or that. Because at that moment, it's all irrelevant. The only place, Jesus said, where you can store up and thieves will never break in and steal, rust will never destroy and decay, is in eternity in heaven with him the person who has everything and has god has nothing more than the one who has nothing but god that is so hard for us to understand in this day and age where the kind of reason for being is that i have therefore i am but christ is going to be there the home to welcome us when we get there he'll welcome us in and we'll enter what richard baxter called the saints' everlasting rest will finally be home. And then finally, I'll close with this. Heaven helps us find our way home. I love Thomas. Thank God for Thomas and the Gospels. Look, I grew up as a pretty cynical kid. My parents are sitting here. They came here to listen to me preach, and I'm thankful for that. They were so patient with me growing up because I had so many questions. I didn't even, we, they took me so faithfully to church every Sunday. But I didn't really come to faith until I was 17. So I understand where Thomas is coming from. I'm not the kind of guy who just kind of takes things for granted. I want to I understand. Some of that's sinful unbelief. A lot of it I use as excuses. And finally the Lord grabbed a hold of me and said, I don't care what you think about other Christians or all these questions. What I want to know is who do you say that I am?
psalmist says, Lord, <laughs> we don't know where you're going. How do we know how to get there? All the disciples were like, Thomas, such a loser. Come on. But think about his logic. If I told you, meet me in Tickbite, North Carolina, real place. I hope nobody knows where it is because it's going to defeat the point of the illustration. But if I say, meet me tomorrow, 2 o'clock, at the Waffle House on the corner of such and such in Tickbite, North Carolina. No GPS, no maps, nothing. Could you get there? The only person who can tell you how to get to heaven is one who's been there. I could tell you right now detailed directions to my childhood home. I can even tell you, like, there's, you know, you'll come around the bend on Lakeside Drive, house will... That's how Jesus speaks of heaven to us. Thomas was right in asking that. Very wise question. Lord, we don't know where heaven is. How do you expect us to get there? What does Jesus say? Does he say, well, it'll all work out. Just, you know, read some good books. Watch Oprah weekly. Everybody's beating up on Oprah. I'm sorry. Um, point is this. You can't map quest heaven, folks. You can't dial it in in your GPS. That leaves us with a big problem, doesn't it? Thomas's question, how do we get there? Heaven is one of two options for our eternal destiny. There's no tertium quid, for those of you who love to throw around Latin phrases. There's no third thing, no third option. Jesus didn't divide humanity in Matthew 25 into the sheeps, the goats, and the chickens. There were sheep, and there were goats. Very postmodern of Jesus. Things don't just work out in the end. Heaven is not the reward for the heroic act of dying. But Jesus thankfully says this. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Christ is the only way to the deepest desire of our hearts. There are no shortcuts, no bypasses. All roads do not lead to God. Jesus is frustratingly intolerant and self-centered even when it comes to his identity. He says, my father's house. In other words, it's my father's house and I have the right to invite you there. And I have the right to welcome you in. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. But then on top of it all, to make sure there is no doubt that he's just offering himself as one way among many to God, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Think of the audacity of that statement. St. Augustine once said, I have read all of the philosophers, all of the historians of the great classic period I've read all of the great authors. I've never heard a single one of them say, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. They all point to someone else, to something beyond themselves. 
Jesus has the right to say this because he is God. He was with God from the very beginning, the scriptures say. And on top of it, he came into the world and he returned to his heavenly home by way of the cross through death and resurrection for us. Maybe some of you can agree with Woody Allen who once quipped, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. The fear of death is a universal human experience. And we all try to avoid it. Until pastors like me keep coming up here and reminding us of it. But Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Death is simply a homecoming for my children. You can live by faith in me in this life without trouble or without fear. And then when it's over, I'm going to receive you into heaven. Like David said, you are continually with me. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And then afterwards, you receive me into glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh might fail, but God is the strength in the portion of my heart. Jesus Christ faced death and conquered it for you. That you could have eternal life. And that eternal life is ours today in him. Hebrews says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. In other words, he became human, he became like us to represent us. And then it says that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong death. Slavery. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. As a young woman, Florence Chadwick was the first woman to cross without a boat the English Channel back and forth. On July 4, 1952, she attempted to swim the 26th Mile. I, don't, I can't even run 26 miles, much less swim 26 miles. The stretch between Catalina Island off the coast of San Diego to the mainland of California. A thick fog settled in over the water that day. It was cold. Men had to follow her in boats with guns to shoot at sharks when they came near her. Tired and demoralized, disoriented, she finally asked her, uh, her team to pull her into the boat. She was given up. She was done. As soon as she got in the boat, she realized that she had stopped just a half a mile from the shore. She later told reporters, all I could see was the fog. And look, I'm not excusing myself. But I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Beloved, we need to keep our eyes on the shore. That's what the point of heaven is. That's what Jesus wanted his disciples and us to realize. Keep your eyes on the shore. Keep swimming. Keep running the race. And he'll give us the grace to get there. And more importantly, keep your eyes focused on the one who stands on the shore. The one who's already been there and who waits for us to welcome us.
like Hebrews says, let's look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And so let us run with endurance the race set before us. Heaven is real. Heaven's waiting. And heaven matters today. Which path are you on? And do you have your eyes on the shore? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us here in our sin, our misery, our separation from you, that death did not have the victory over us, that we are not given over to futility, that this life is not all there is, that you sent your son from heaven, that he came to us to to teach us about heaven, and not only to tell us how to get there, but that he himself made himself the way and that he brings us home to you. Lord, we pray that through all the afflictions, all the trials, all the suffering, all the hardship, and even through the good things, Lord, of this life, that we'd never take our eyes off the shore and off of him, that we would long for heaven day and night, that we would never confuse heaven with earth, that we would remember that we have a heavenly home, that that we are citizens of another country, and we have a home that is built by God and not by human hands. And to not attach our heart to the passing things of this world and this life. And I pray for those who are under those hardships. I pray for those who are, who are struggling with depression or sadness or despair or difficult circumstances or uh, debilitating illnesses or whatever it may be, Lord, that you would give us grace and encourage us with the hope of heaven. That we might, in your spirit, And because of what you've done for us, that we might be able to run the race set before us. And that we would cross the finish line to see you standing there saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen.